Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given in the local listening area. Today's show features Deacon Ralph Poyo and his talk recorded at the Catholic Men's Fellowship Conference in April 2011. And now, Deacon Ralph Poyo. My brothers, this talk is uh, the Father's blessing. We're called to be men of the blessing. We've been created to be men of the blessing. But the problem is, is that for many of us, like I said before, it's always been a battle for our identity. Time after time, we've been robbed of our identity. We've been robbed of our own blessings. Oftentimes, even with our own fathers, instead of receiving a blessing from our father, rather we curse. We're supposed to receive things like the blessing of ability, abundance, assurance of God's love and his grace, clear direction, controlled and disciplined life, courage, creativity. All of these are supposed to us in the blessing spiritual perception of his truth, faith, favor of God and man's favor, blessed with a good wife, with fulfillment, hands that bless others, contentment, a listening ear, a long life, an obedient heart to the Spirit of God. All of these are supposed to be given to us. Have you received those? Pleasant speech. Oh. Pleasant personality. Oh. Promotion protection, provision and safety and strength, goodness and mercy. All of these things we're supposed to be receiving in the blessing we're supposed to receive from our Heavenly Father as passed down from men to men. But it seems like we're not getting it. And it seems like we've not gotten it. And the question is why? Why is it that we are not receiving the blessings we're supposed to receive? And how is it that we cannot pass the blessing on to our children, to our friends? to our loved ones. That's what we were created for, and yet that's what we continue to struggle with. One of the things that really becomes very evident and clear about the role of man in the world is that we cannot abdicate our responsibility, as we've heard of. Doug has done a great job, as well as the other speakers throughout the day, about talking about the role of responsibility. I want to read to you uh, an article, not the whole thing, an excerpt from the article, entitled, The Truth About Men and Church on the Importance of Fathers to Church Going, written by Robbie Lowe back in the 90s. It was uh, about a report that the Swiss had given, had done in 1994, and if you know anything about the Church of Europe, we're sadly following that direction pretty quickly. But just a couple of brief excerpts. If the father does not go to church, no matter how faithful his wife's devotions only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper. If a father does go regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will become churchgoers, both regular and possibly irregularly. If the father goes irregularly to church, regardless of his wife's devotion, between half and two-thirds of their offspring will find themselves going to church regularly or occasionally. Listen to this. A non-practicing mother with a regular father, regularly attending father, will see a minimum of two-thirds of her children ending up at church. In contrast, a non-practicing father with a regular attending mother 
we'll see two-thirds of his children never darken the church door. His wife is if his wife is similarly negligent and does not attend, 80% will never darken the door. My brothers, God did not create men so that we would be silent. He did not create men so that our role should be abdicated to women. There is no denying the importance of our role. And I, I understood that finally in my life. I grew up the youngest of four boys to a Hispanic father, a Cuban father, and I'm Colombian by birth. My father was a mediocre attender, only did it because my family did it. But you could tell he really, he just was never educated in his life on the faith. I grew up in a family where really going to work and providing for your family was the only identity he had as a man. And we all understand that that's the role that the church gives us, right? I mean, we're the providers of our homes, yes? Raise your hands. Can I see that? What if I told you that's not true? Really? Does that mean I don't have to go to work anymore, Deacon Ralph? No, it doesn't. But since the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, from the very beginning, God has been working on a covenant through Abraham and the Israelites all the way to the present day. God has always said, I will be your provider. You must be my people. And so therefore, what we have done is taken on the world's identity of masculinity and said our job is to be the provider, and that is God's job. Well, if God's job is to be the provider through us and through our work, but that's his job, then what is really our job? Our job is to pass on the blessing of the Father. Our job is to give away what we have been given. Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well, he says, if you drink of the water that I give, then in you will rise up a font of living water. In you will become this spring. And it's the kind of thing where all of a sudden we start finding from men water coming out of the fountain of their lives where we fill up from them the outflow of the Holy Spirit. We should be receiving from each other this Spirit of God that should be coming from us, overflowing from us to every person who comes around us, our relationships at work, our kids, our spouse. This is our responsibility. We're, our hearts are supposed to be the conduit the conduit of the Holy Spirit, the love of God that flows from the Father to the Son and back again. Our hearts are supposed to be this conduit where this Holy Spirit goes through and begins to heal people, begins to restore, restore them, begin to build them up, and for God's sakes, to train up men to become men. This is who we're called to be. We are so busy out in the world trying to think that it's our job to earn a buck, to make the money, to provide for our families. We have taken on God's job. Let us leave that to God to do and go to God and say, what must I do? What must I do for my wife? What must I do for my children? How must I raise my son up so that he raises up with virtue? And my daughter so that they raise up with understanding of their value and purity. But you see, gentlemen, if you're anything like me, what we've struggled with is these lies that the world has filled us with. Telling us that, no, to be a real man is how many times have you gotten laid in college? Or we hear these things, oh yeah, you need to sow your wild oats in your youth so when you get married you can settle down. What a crock. What is our virtue? Where are we strongest? Is it hiding? Is it in remaining silent when we're called to rise up? Who are we called to be and how do we get this blessing of the Father? How does the Holy Spirit come down and flow through us? You see, that's really the kicker. The Holy Spirit was given to us. For what? To suppress? To not do anything with? 
Or it could it be that maybe we're called to be fathers, men of the blessing. Could it be that we're really called to be the ones through whom the blessing flows through us? But you see, you first got to be a recipient because truth be told, we cannot give what we do not have. So if we don't have the blessings of God the Father, if we aren't resting in the peace of his light and his love, in the truth, then what are we doing? We're running around out in this world trying to make a name for ourselves based on what? And for what reason? I mean, why do you do what you do every day of your life? Why do you do it? Why are you working so hard? Is it because you need more money or want more money? And is it because the money then provides for you more esteem or more what? My brothers, why are we doing what we're doing? Do we have any calculation about our spiritual life? Do we have any belief in ourselves that God really wants to use our hearts to transform people's lives forever? Do you believe that God can use you to change your family? Do you really believe it? Not do you understand the concept. Do you believe it? Because you know what belief means, right? Belief. Believe. Be living. Do you be living that God can use you to transform people's lives for eternity? Or are these just intellectual concepts we play in our heads and it's a great way to just keep playing around with it there and it becomes a nice self-defense so that we never have to get into the heat of fire? If you're anything like me, that's what I used to do an awful lot. I used to just be a people pleaser. I used to just go around and try to please every person that I could and hope that everybody would like me because, well, you just didn't know my brokenness. I had all kinds of motivations in my past from my brokenness. I had all kinds of reasons why, why, why I was hiding from you. You see, my brothers, if we're going to be really honest, if we're really going to do anything that we've been kind of encouraging everybody to do today, if we're really going to make a difference in anybody else's life, if we're really going to begin to take this faith seriously and not just kind of play church, but take it seriously, we have to make a decision, a very pivotal decision. I, well, that, uh, the previous speaker talked about is, do you know him? Because you're right. That is the cornerstone. But once we know him, what do we do then? Really, what do we do then? Give me something practical, tangible that I can walk away from here today and know what do I need to begin to do so that I can get to work. Well, here it comes. You've got to make a decision whether or not you for yourself personally are going to be committed to the truth. You are going to be a student of truth, a pursuer of truth, an embracer of truth, and then a liver of truth. And I guarantee you that if you start trying to do that today, you are going to start dying. Dying to self. That baptismal death that we were called to do. That idea of Jesus saying, you want to be my follower, then pick up your cross. We've all got crosses, but we live in a world that has a different religion. And if you haven't read the memo, that different religion is hedonism. Our country professes to be a Christian nation. What a crock. The number one religion in our country is not Christianity, not Catholicism. It's hedonism. The pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. And we're trying to sit here and figure out whether or not we can live a pain-avoiding life in Christianity so we have a culture that tells us, cast off your crosses. You know, like, you're in a tough marriage? Okay, give it up. Dump it. Go get a new wife and a new family. You having a rough time at work? Go ahead. Quit. Get another job. Although right now the economy's not really that good to do, is it? 
You having a tough time in your family? It's okay. Stop talking to your siblings. Don't talk to your parents. Don't talk to your kids. Keep your pride. Because what's more valuable than your pride? What is your pride going to give you on judgment day? What is your pride going to give you on the day when you're looking at your son or daughter or your father and your brother and you saw a loved one is dead? And can you talk? Can you share your heart? Can you be the fountain of living water? Or has the pride gotten in the way? You see, we've got to decide if we're going to be men of the blessing, we've got to remove the obstacles. If you're the pipeline for the love of God, the Holy Spirit, to flow through you, then you've got to know that Satan is working overtime to clog your pipeline. So what is in the way? Is it sin? Did you take care of it? Is it woundedness? Well, then we go to God and ask, Lord, help me, because I am wounded, and all I'm doing is living a life of self-defense. I'm not even a position to love, to reach out in strength and sacrifice as I was created to be because I'm so busy licking my wounds. I'm so busy hiding. I'm so busy tending to try to be somebody else because I believe that people knew the truth of who I was. They could never love me, let alone accept me. We got to draw the line in the sand and we got to say from this day forward, when I leave this conference, no more lying. No more lying to myself, to my wife to my kids, to my boss, to whoever. But it's got to begin with us first. I remember when I was um, reading the Magnificat, a little daily prayer thing. One of the saints, I forget which one it was, wrote this thing in there. And I, and I never usually do this, but when I read this, I got it and I copied it down and I put it in my mirror. It struck me so. It just said, train yourself to prefer truth rather than self-love. Whoa. I'm not sure I know what that means. So I needed to write it down and then I stuck it on a mirror. And when I was shaving every morning, first, I just tore it apart. Train yourself. Oh, well, that's a novel idea. I mean, I played soccer competitively and so I understand the concept of training. But when have I trained myself for my spirituality? Really, when have I trained myself? I mean, we've, some of us have lifted weights and done different things or we've studied academically for different things, professionally or whatever. We train ourselves in those areas. When do we train ourselves spiritually? When do we train ourselves like fasting, like we do during Lent, when we sit up and say, no more of this stuff that has a disordered control over my life? When do we train ourselves? Train yourself to prefer truth rather than self-love. Truth, what is that? Then I started asking the Lord, show me the truth. Show me the truth of my life. Show me the truth of my brokenness, of my sinfulness, and take me by the hands, one step at a time, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, one step at a time and reveal to me how is it that I'm supposed to change? Because you see, my brothers, I was broken as a kid growing up and I took all the world's motivations of how to cover up, you know. I, I used them all. Out of sight. Time heals all. All lies. We learn to build walls in our hearts, walls to stop the pain. Has it ever stopped the pain? Could I have a testimony of any individual here that can tell me that their walls actually stopped pain from entering your heart? That is because that is a lie from Satan. Those walls you were trained to build by Satan to keep God out. So we got to bring down the walls. Show me the walls and show me what's happening. I learned how to build all of that up. You see, I had an abuse situation in my life at eight and a half years old. And then six months later, I ran into a stack of Playboy and Penthouse magazines. And next thing you know, I had my means of medication. You know, when you don't feel good, what do you run to to self-medicate? Is it alcohol? Is it television? Is it porn? 
What is it that you go to to medicate yourself when you don't feel good? Because you see, we have two choices with the pain. We either go back to the master physician in the truth or we go medicate and live lies. I chose the latter and I developed an addiction to pornography. It took me a long time to begin to develop that. And then it took me an even longer time for the, to dispose myself to God. And then finally, it took 11 years to bring me out of that addiction. And so I stand here before you free of that, not because I have a superhuman will to say no, but because I learned how to dispose my heart to the Holy Spirit, how to give myself to him and invite him into those broken places of my lives. And you know where there was the last place, the last nail in the coffin was? The Lord took me back to that abuse situation where there was a magazine involved. And he spoke the truth to me. And the moment he spoke the truth, he pulled away all the self-hatred, the shame, the filth, the guilt, and any last vestiges of a desire to do porn. We have a living God. He is a God who desires to strengthen you, to build you up, to make you men of the promise. But let me ask you this question. In what kingdom of God which is the kingdom of truth, in what way, in any way possible, does our deceptions of our lives ever give anything to the kingdom of truth? Of what benefit is our pretense to the kingdom of God or our kids? If anything, the only thing we are training our children, our sons and our daughters to do is how to live dysfunctionally, not in the truth, which accomplishes Satan's will. My brothers, we can do better. We can be better. We were created for better. We just have to begin to believe in the truth of who God made you to be and accept the truth that he's given us. He said this in the of John. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him, that's Jesus, a liar, and his truth is not in us. See, what good is working on virtue if we're still committed to lying to ourselves? If we're still committed to our means of self-protection through deception, what is the purpose of pursuing virtue? We got to start at the bottom, the truth, come to grips with where we're at, and invite the Holy Spirit to begin to start moving positively, actively in our lives. But then we need to learn how to start moving it and taking it beyond. Don't you find it kind of interesting that a guy who'd be addicted to pornography, God would give him five daughters? In that whole pornographic lifestyle, I was trained as a predator, as you have been trained as predators, my brothers and sisters. Why? Because I'm not naive to think that you haven't been watching television and most of TV today is pornographic, at least has elements of it in it. We are being trained to immediately objectify. Is that not true? Some ladies walk around immediately. We're not even just... I love what John Paul II says about pornography. It's not that it shows too much, it's that it shows too little. We stop at the flesh. We need to go deeper. 
We need to ask the Lord to give us the eyes to see the spirit, the soul inside the individuals, these ladies. But even farther than that, we need to start training ourselves first in the truth and training ourselves to learn how to die so that we have something to give others. So we have something to encourage others with. I, one of the things that I realized when my daughters were getting older was this, is daughters are pretty soon going to start looking for young men. And I realized they're going to look for somebody like dad. That's pretty tough when you're sneaking away and trying to find some pornography to look at on a video or whatever. So what you're doing, is this mic going out on me or am I just walking around freaking you out? Okay. I'm in the zone. So here's the deal. I began to realize that if I don't start changing myself, there's no way in the world I'm going to be in a position to help my daughters. And I know that my daughter's going to start looking for guys like me. And if they find guys like me where I'm at today, they are in trouble. So I started working on me and I started learning how to die. And I started begging God for help and grace. And like I said, it took him 11 years to help me out of that addiction. But then I started working on my daughters. When they turn 12 years old, I take them out to dinner. And I'll go to a jewelry store and I'll buy them a ring that goes on their wedding ring finger. And as I buy them this ring, um, I write them a love letter, about four pages in my And I, I, I say to them, you know, this is driving me nuts. I say to them, in this letter, how much I love them and how I would gladly die for them. Every single part of them, their intellect, their bodies, their souls, I would die for them. And that they need to start cherishing them and that I wanted them to know that I was going to be their protector. That I was going to do the best I could in their spirituality and in their sexuality. So I told them in that note that from this day forward, I want you to know that I'm going to require any young man that's going to take you out on a date that he come talk with me at least the day before. At least the day before. You'd have a little chat. And we will chat. You see, we've got to decide what we're going to do with our kids. I began to realize that I need to model for my kids how to be treated by how I treat my wife when we go out together as a family. So I'd open up my wife's door still today. So I pull out her chair still today. So I get her jacket still today. And I keep talking to the girls, my daughters, and I said, listen, when the young man comes to pick you up on a date, I want you to go to the car door, and when you go to the side, the passenger side, I want you to wait by the door. And nine out of ten times, that kid's going to get in the driver's side door, and he's going to get in, he's going to sit down and go, get in. You're going to need to figure out what you're going to do. And she goes, dad, I can't do that. I can't, I can't, that's going to be so embarrassing. I said, sweetheart, trust me. He's going to be embarrassed. Trust me. So when he says, get in, you just go, if you'd like me to go with me, with you, you, you need to open my door. And what's the kid to do? He's going to get out. I don't understand why I'm going to... Here you go. Great. Then once the door's closed and she's sealed inside, God, this is just getting to be a pain in the butt. Opens the door, gets in, goes to the restaurant. When you go to the restaurant, he's going to get out and he's going to walk into the restaurant. Stay in the car. And then once you get to the restaurant door, wait. Once you get to the table, wait. And so what you need to know, though, when a young man comes to my house, I warn him. I'm like, dude, I train my daughters to be treated like a, a lady. So if you want to take my daughter, you better, be, you better be ready to rise up. You better be ready. Because this is what I'm training them to believe, that they are worthy of being treated this way. 
When's the last time we took our sons out and said, sons, you know women are supposed to be respected. They need to protect them. I don't care who it is. If there's a woman there that needs protection, you need to protect. Where did those days go? What happened? We no longer do that. We're no longer passing on the blessing. We're no longer helping them understand this is who we're called to be and this is what we can be for other people. You see, we need to provide these models for them. They need to know that they're capable of rising up to this. I know I have daughters, but one of my daughters, Rebecca, was learning how to drive. And I went to her and she didn't have her driver's permit yet. And I, I gave her the keys. I said, Rebecca, pull the car out of the van, out of the garage. And she goes, really? And she looked at me with great uncertainty. And I said, you can do it. And she was all nervous. She got in the car. And she began to back out. She began to back out. With scared as could be. But you see, she needed to know from her father whether or not she could do it. Gentlemen, I asked you earlier this morning, how strong are you? You will never know how strong you are until you know how strong your father is. And you will never know how strong you are until you learn to depend on his strength for you. This can be done. One of the blessings of the great patriarchs when you look at the history of the Old Testament is you see particularly Isaac doing this for Jacob but made it his intention to pass on the blessing before he died. To physically find his son. He was supposed to be giving it to Esau but ended up giving it to Jacob. But he made it his intention. I'm going to be dying soon. And it is important that you receive what I have been given. My brothers, we need to go back and attain what we were supposed to receive if we've not been given that. And when we have stepped in the way, we need to receive the wisdom and knowledge and grace to get right with God so that we can be conduits of love and grace and blessing to others. This is not an impossible thing. It just requires us to live the truth, to embrace it, and to, to hold on to our Lord. For the strength we need to die so that what we pass on, instead of it says in the scriptures, the sin of one generation is passed on from one to the next, what's passed on is the grace and blessing and peace of the Almighty God that can only be found in relationship with Him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Gentlemen, let's be those fonts of living waters. We can do this. You can do this. It is not impossible. We just must come to believe that God desires to pass His blessing through you that you be filled up to overflowing and that those who are around you, all around you, receive the blessing. Amen? Amen. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For a copy of this program on Compact Disc, call 330-966-2903. Or send an email to orders at livingbreadradio.com and reference the program broadcast date. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.